Thank you, Katie. Our kids love Katie Duggleby. They love summer camp. They were part of it last year. They were in a bunch of those pictures, and so we're excited to get that launched. I'm excited for a ton of you to be involved in giving or volunteering or recommending it to neighbors and, uh, and friends and family that you have. Uh, this last week was a big week for me. I'm just going to let you know a couple big things. Uh, first, uh, on Friday, I celebrated a big birthday. I left one decade and entered into another. So Friday was my birthday, so I expect applause. Thank you. That took a minute. That took a minute. I need you to just cheer me on for making it one more year. But here's what happened. Actually, Thursday, before the day before my birthday, I got super sick, like crazy super sick. And so I feel like I'm maybe just recovering. And so I just want to let you know, uh, if I pass out at any point or, or, or fall over, any one of you is welcome to hop up. And Tommy, you can do the message tonight if you want. You can finish it for me. So, uh, but we're going to plow through. I'm going to give it 100%. Can you give it 100% as well tonight as you listen? You're going to do it? All right, good, good, good. So we are, as Katie said, kicking off a brand new series called The New Rules for Relationships. And we're going to explore... Uh, what just a couple of those rules are is found in God's word. But as I was kind of studying and preparing for this time in between sort of consciousness this last week as I was sick, uh, I, you know, I had this kind of thought and it kind of took me back to really one of the first relationships I ever had, which is like my first best friend. Do you remember who, when you were a kid, was your first best friend, like your best buddy, your best pal? My son uh, just came from a birthday party and, and got dropped off by his best buddy Katie, and, and her parents dropped him off here at the church tonight, and they are just best friends. It is undeniable. These two are best friends. So as we think about our rules for relationship, what we're going to do is I want you to think back to when you sort of first learned some of these rules, and who was the first person that was your best friend? So I'm going to have you actually turn to the person next to you and talk to them. I'm telling you this now in advance so that introverts can prepare themselves for what's to come. It's only going to be like 68 seconds, so you don't have to stress out about it. But turn to the person next to you and find out from them who was their best, like their first best friend growing up, and how old were they. All right? So go ahead. Turn to the person next to you. Find that stuff out. We'll come back together in about a minute. All right. You can wrap that conversation up. I, I doubt you've ever thought about this, but I want you to think about that, that friend, that first best friend that you had. And if you had to articulate, or could you even articulate at the time, at four, five, six years old, what the rules were for that relationship? My hunch is they were probably pretty simple, right? Basically, you have cooler toys than me, let's be friends. Pretty simple, right? I'll share my stuff with you if you share your stuff with me. Your mom seems to always put jello pudding pops in your lunch. We're going to be best friends. And so, honestly, the rules when you're a little kid are really simple. In fact, some of you uh, may have formed lifelong friendships simply because you sat next to a person because your last name started with the same letter in your class. It doesn't take much when we're little. The rules are actually really quite simple, aren't they, for our relationships? Very, very, very simple. But what happens, the older we get, is they get harder. The rules get harder. And they get harder to understand. And the more and more complicated they get, the less and less we're able to articulate what they are. So they get more and more complicated, less and less articulated. And then we find ourselves sort of all these years later down the road, knowing all of us feeling at some level that there are rules to relationships. We all know that there are rules, but none of us feels like we know what they are. And we, we kind of bump up against them or into them, or we, we know that they're out there, but we don't really... We can't really recognize them, but they affect every one of our relationships. There are definitely rules to our relationships. 
First of all, we'll just start with the most obvious ones. You have rules to the way you do relationships. There are your rules. I mean, if you were just to be honest about that, you have rules to the way you do relationships. This is always the way you've done it. This is the way you were kind of taught to do it. And if everyone would just play by your rules, we'd all get along swimmingly. You have rules to how you do relationship. Look, listen, you have rules about how you do, how you answer people's phone calls. You have rules about whose calls you'll take and whose you won't. Whose text messages you'll get back to and whose you won't or how long it'll take for you to get back to them. You have rules. They don't know that you have rules, but you have rules about your relationships. And the problem with your rules for your relationships is that they tend to change with every relationship and they tend to kind of change over time. And so the rules that you had five years ago aren't the same rules that you have today. You have rules to how you do relationships. But it's not just as simple as you having your rules because they have their rules you, you show up to a relationship with your rules, and guess what? You meet someone else who has their rules. And they have very clear ways about how they do relationships. And now the two of you have a bunch more rules, whether it's friendship, dating, or marriage, or whatever it is. Now there's a lot more rules on the table for how you do relationship. And the only way you find out someone else's rules for relationship, you want to know the number one way that you find out what someone else's rules are for relationship? You break them. That's exactly right. We can't articulate them, but we sure find out when we break them, don't we? And you realize you hurt someone, you dinged someone. Someone says, wait a second, ow, why did you do it that way? Why did you treat me that way? That's not how I do relationships. This last week, my wife, Jeannie, and I had the privilege to teach at our first soulmates class for couples who are engaged to be married this next year. It's a class that matches couples with mentors, marriage mentors, and so it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And Jean and I were up there teaching and presenting about sort of God's framework for marriage and how that sort of works and God's intention and desire for how he grows us through marriage and all that sort of stuff. And I'm looking out at these folks, and they're out there taking notes, and they've got their binders out, and it's all starry eyes. Then all they can see is, you know, they're thinking about reception halls and flowers and dresses and cool hipster bow ties. And they've got the whole thing. All that stuff is in their eyes. They've got honeymoon plans in their eyes. And it's all so beautiful and wonderful. But the reality is what they're about to wake up to in a couple short months is a bunch of new rules. And those of us who are married know there's a lot of rules that can come along in these relationships. There's rules to every one of our relationships, and they tend to be unclear lots of times, even to ourselves, even amongst our relationships that we have. And oftentimes, our, our rules for relationship, yours, theirs, mine, are ultimately always about me at the end of the day. Your rules for a relationship are for you and about your some of self-preservation or protection or whatever it is, mine or about me, that's understandable. But see, when we all show up with that agenda, do you see how complicated it can get? Let me add one more layer of complication as if that weren't enough. Then you come to church. <laughs> and guess who else has rules for relationships? Yeah, God does too. 
So there's your rules, there's their rules, and then there's God's rules. And so now it can feel like, oh my, how, how am I possibly supposed to navigate all these rules for relationships? But what we want to do for the next few weeks is sort of speak in, step into what God would have, what God designed and desires for all of our relationships, what God's rules would be for our relationships, and how they apply across all of our relationships. How they apply literally across our friendships to our dating, marriage, parenting relationships. That's what God's rules, they apply all the way across each relationship. In fact, unlike our relational rules, God's relational rules are consistently clear. Consistently clear and laid out. They don't kind of shift or change from day to day. They are consistently clear. And get this, this is very important. God's rules for relationship are always best for both. Always best for both. See, my rules are all about me. Your rules are all about you. That's understandable. God's rules are always best for both. And both of us, all of us, have the opportunity to be transformed in the application of these principles that we're going to look at and explore and the rules that God has for our relationships. We're going to look at one rule this weekend that I think if, if we were to honestly uh, apply to our relationships across the relational you know, spectrum, I think honestly we could see within this week. I'm not, I'm, I really believe this. If you were to apply this this week in your relationships, you would begin to see a change in the tone, the dynamic of your relationships starting this week. In fact, those of us who would call ourselves Christians, this is the way where we're going to look at this passage of scripture we're about to open up is the way we are to do relationships in the world. This is, this is God's instruction, not suggestion, but instruction for how we do relationships. But I want to say a word to those of you who wouldn't call yourselves Christians. You, you're maybe investigating the God thing, or honestly, maybe you're looking for a relationship and your friend brought you here because you heard there's cute girls here and that's awesome. We're glad you're here. That's fantastic. You're not sure about the God... Friends, that was a pretty decent joke. I may be sick, but that wasn't that bad. Work with me here, people. I'm at 60%, but my jokes are still at 100%, people. Come on. So you don't know what, maybe what brought you here or why you're here, but you're interested about God. Maybe you've got some questions about God. You're not all the way across the line about God. Listen to this. This rule that we're going to look at here tonight, you can actually apply to your relationships and see the benefit See the change, see even the transformation in your relationships without even having to acknowledge a relationship with God. That's how good and rich and full the promises and principles of God are. You can even put them to work and not have a relationship with God. And your friends and your boyfriend or girlfriend, your spouse will say, what, something's different about you. Why, that's so, what's different? You don't even have to tell them you learned it in church unless that gets you more bonus points, then do that. Because this is some serious, powerful stuff that we're going to look at. So if you have a Bible, I'd ask that you pull it out right now. We're going to open to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Hey, if you didn't bring a Bible, we brought one for you. It's the blue Bible. It's right in your seat back in front of you. We're going to ask that everyone grab a Bible right now, because we all want to be playing out of the same rule book. If we're going to understand God's consistently clear rules that are best for both of us, then we want to be looking at this text together. Philippians chapter 2 in the Blue Bible is found on page 819. Let me give you a quick context, and we're going to look at this new rule for our relationships, every one of our relationships. Philippians chapter 2. This is a letter written to a church, a church like ours, 
church like this church, a church that Paul actually dearly loved and had great affection for. They'd seen him at his highest highs and at his lowest lows. They, they knew him and he knew them. They had a very close and deep relationship with the apostle Paul, the one who wrote this letter that God inspired to write this letter to them. And so Paul was wanting to take this growing church to the next level of their growth and see transformation brought not only in their relationship with each other, but ultimately in their relationship with God. And so he kind of gives them some rules for relationships. And one of those we're going to look at right here tonight. It's found in, starting in verse three, Paul writes these words. Do nothing. Now, if you have, why don't you grab a pen? Because there's a couple things you're going to want to circle and underline here. And the first one is that word nothing. Circle the word nothing. It's just so you see the lack of ambiguity Paul is giving here. This isn't a sometimes or when you feel like it or when you're in a really good mood or when all the circumstances align. Paul says, no, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What's selfish ambition? Selfish ambition is my own agenda. Do nothing driven by a my way agenda. Do nothing driven by sort of the, I need to get this done because this is the way that I do things. These are my rules. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Vain conceit would be sort of doing something in the hopes that you would get the attention and the glory for it. That the spotlight would somehow shine back on you. So you may do an act of love, but the reason you're doing the act of love is so that you can get the attention for it. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, he says, in, what's the word? Humility, circle that word. In humility, humility be, being taking the lowest spot. In humility means seeing yourself rightly. In humility, value others above yourselves. Above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests. But each of you, that's very important, each of you to the interests of the others. You see what Paul is doing here? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, in humility, value others above yourself. Put other people's needs above yourself. Lay down your own rules because God is giving you a new rule for relationships. And if you were to boil what Paul is saying down here to that church and to our church here tonight, the new rule for relationships is simply this. It's not all about you. It's not all about you. It's not all about you. And maybe you kind of thought it was, because that's the message our culture gives us, that it's all about you. It's not all about, it's not all about you. It's not all up to you. It's not all about you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, because it's not all about you and your way and your rules. Now, I continue... <laughs> to learn this the hard way. Friends, I am going out there ahead of you, failing miserably, figuring this one out. Trying hard, but let I continue to learn it is not all about me. It's not all about me. It's not all about me. I learned it early on in a dating relationship. I was in eighth grade, and there's, a, so as you can tell, very serious dating relationship. 
And there was a girl that, you know, I'd known for a while. And so we kind of started dating towards the end of the school year, right around May or so. And everything was off to a great start for our little eighth grade, you know, romance and getting to know each other really well and starting to date. What was unfortunate, though, for her and for our relationship was shortly after we started dating, I was scheduled to go away to a Christian summer camp. And from basically everything I understood about Christian summer camp, it was a time to go away and learn about God and try and kiss girls. And that's really, it's not like that was on the brochure, but that's what I interpreted. That's what the week would be about. I'm going to learn about God, and I'm going to try and kiss girls. And if I feel guilty about it, I'll learn about God again. And so, <laughs> so I went away to camp, and guess what? I learned about God, and guess what else? May have kissed a girl. <laughs> and I met this girl at a camp. She's from another city. And so, you know, we kind of hit it off. And boy, you know, totally innocent, totally simple. Eighth grade, very, very simple stuff. But, you know, I ended up kissing this girl. And we wrote and said, okay, you write me, I'll write you, okay? And we never did. But, you know, the idea was that, you know, I, I'm on the bus on the, on the way back home. And I'm just, I'm thinking, boy, what a great week. And then I started thinking, oh, now I got, you know, I got my girl to come home to. I'm like this is really working out well for me. You really can have it all. I got the girl at camp. I got the girl at home. What I didn't realize was the girl at home actually had a bunch of spies at camp, no joke, who were giving her real-time data from the camp payphone about what I was doing every day. So that by the time I got home, she had a new rule for our relationship. That rule was, it's over. It's over. And I learned the hard way I can't have, it's not all about me. I can't have it always by my rules. It's not all about me. And although I would never articulate that or say that out loud, you know, I acted out in lots of little small ways with, with my wife, Jeannie, all the time. I mean, listen, I've never, in, in the 16 years we've been married, never once rolled over in the morning in the pillow and said, hey, babe, good morning. You know what today is, don't you? It's all about me. <laughs> Never done that. Never said, baby, this is your lucky day because today is all about this guy. <laughs> I would never say that. I would never do that directly. <laughs> but in lots of little ways, that's how I act. I believe it's all about me. And in fact, recently, in fact, just a couple months ago, in, in this very room, right back in that corner, I was reflecting on this and reflecting on how all these little small things have added up. And I realized that there was a trend and a pattern. There was a rule I had for our relationship that I'd never even articulated myself. And the rule was, I believed I could do whatever I wanted. You know, I could do what I want when I wanted, you know, watch TV, not fold the laundry. I could do what I want because Jeannie would do what we need. I could do what I, I want, you know, and again, nothing major, lots of little things. If I want to kind of check my phone, I can check my phone right now because I know she's responsible and ultimately at the end of the day, she'll take care of what we need as a family. And every little time I made that little decision, do you know what message I sent to her? It's all about me. In this moment, I feel like doing this, so I'm going to sit down and watch TV. It's all about me. These are my rules of relationship, and you either got to get on board or you're going to have to work it out because it's all about me. Again, I would never say it directly, but that's how each of us honestly acts all the time. We believe it's all about us, and God's new rule is simple. It is not all about you. 
Now that's a contrary message to the message of our culture and our society. Completely contradictory message, in fact. The message of our culture and our, our society says, no, 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 it is all about you. You gotta take care of yourself. You gotta look out for you. And so if it's not working out with him, move on. If she's not satisfying you anymore, find someone new, someone younger. Go. It's all about you. There's tension, conflict in this friendship. That seems intense. Walk away. Leave it where it is. It's ultimately, at the end of the day, all about you. That's the message of our of our culture right now. It's all about you. And the crazy thing is, is if you were to play that out and every one of us were to actually play by those rules, it's all about me, it's all about me, I gotta take care of me, and you came into every relationship with that dynamic and both of you showed up to the relationship saying, whether it's a friendship, marriage, whatever it is, it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. How do you think that's going to affect the relationship? How do you think that's going to affect your perspective? If, if all it ever is is all about you, guess what you're going to be left with in the end? Only you. You see how it plays out. I mean, can you imagine the all the couples that are in our soulmates premarital class, when we get to the point about talking about the ceremony and it comes time for the vows, if the guy were to say, babe, I want to write my own vows. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, I'm going to write them about me. <laughs> like, and then I've written your vows and they're about me as well. <laughs> We'd have to go another session probably with that couple, right? But that's what we believe. It's all about me. And if we were to actually play that out. That rule doesn't work. God has a better rule for our relationships. In fact, I think it'd be important for us to read it out loud like a declaration together again. So we're going to put it back on the screen. You can look up on the screen. We're going to read it out loud together as, as a declaration for all of our relationships. This is my commitment that I will not be about these things, but this is what I will be about. So let's read this out loud together. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Can you imagine what would happen if we actually put this new rule into practice in each of our relationships this week? If you were to say, you know what, I want to put this into practice. I'm not going to be about my rules, my way, my agenda. I am going to seek to serve this week. I'm going to approach my relationships with humility. It's not all about me. You know, when we approach our relationships with this kind of framework, the way that God would have every one of our relationships be, there's a great question that helps us make it from sort of a big abstract concept to very practical ways that we can actually live it out. A really simple question that you might want to jot down, and as you jot it down, be thinking about what are some of the people, who are some of the people in your life that you need to ask this question about. The question that I think gives us a new rule for our relationships is simply this. 
What would God have me do for you? You think about yourself standing across from your roommate and asking that question as a prayer. What would God have me do for you? You think about standing across from your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse and seriously have their face in front of you as you think about it right now. What would God have me do for you? Those of us who are parents, you imagine what it would be like to look in your kid's face and go, what would God have me do for you? What would God have me do for you? Not what do I feel like doing, not what do I want you to do for me, not what have you done for me lately. What (laughs) would you, God, have me do for this person in my life? What would you, God, have me do for this person? Whatever it may look like, whatever it may be, God, what would you have me do for them? You know, every time I get the opportunity to teach and and share God's word and and, and do the best I can to teach from God's word, God lovingly allows me to have moments where I get to actually put this into practice before I get to preach it. And lots of times uh, it comes usually right before the weekend. And so sure enough, this last week, I was having one of those days where I I knew kind of our week was a little different because this last Wednesday night, we did a thing here at our church called Stay and Pray, where we did 12 hours of prayer and worship here in this church. That's actually where I got sick. Some people pray to get healed. I prayed and got sick. And so I'm excited about that. So I I knew that that was kind of throwing off the my week and my schedule and that sort of thing. So I already, I started my day that Wednesday, the day of stay and pray. I started my day already feeling behind. You ever started a day that way? I mean, you haven't even officially begun, but you already feel behind. And so sure enough, it was one of those days and I knew I had still some more work to do on this message so that I could be ready for our time together here this weekend. And, and sure enough, that morning I had a friend who was in from out of town and he's like, hey, I'm going to be coming through. I actually have a flight out of O'Hare that afternoon, but I wanted to come into the city and see you. And I'm thinking, okay, what would God have me do for you? And I thought, can we do it over text? No, we can't do that. We actually got to see it in person. Okay, it's going to take some time out of my day. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. This is the right thing for me to do. This is a friend that's invested into me. I want to invest into this friend. And so we came into town and had breakfast at Little Goat, one of our favorite places here in the neighborhood. And so after having breakfast, you know, I got back over here to the church and I was trying to get some stuff done and I knew I had to get out of sort of the busyness of my day so I could get to really working on the important stuff. In other words, I had to get away from all you people so I could help you people. It was basically my mentality. And so I needed to get my stuff together and get out and get to a coffee shop and put my headphones on so I can actually do the work of the Lord. And so... I'm rushing and trying to get stuff out and packed up and get out of here. And, and my wife, Jeannie, uh, you know, was in her office and she said, hey, you were at Little Goat. How was Little Goat this morning? I'm like, oh, it's great. It's fantastic. Love that place. It's great. She's like, did you grab me anything? I was like, I, did I? No. <laughs> did you ask? No. Okay. And she's like, oh, she's like, well, it's no big deal. I'm like, would you, would you like something from Little Goat? <laughs> She's like, I'd love a sandwich. Would you be able to grab me a sandwich? And I'm literally like, it's all I can do from keep pulling my phone out to check what time it is. And 
And I'll be really honest, like, I, at first I was like, okay, don't you understand what I, I have to do here? I have to go write a sermon about helping people serve others. <laughs> and you're interrupting me right now with this opportunity to serve you. And so, but here's what raised the stakes. Her door was open and it was actually in front of our whole kind of staff team that was around. And so I had one of those moments like, what am I going to say no at this point? Like, and she would have been fine with that. But, you know, I was like, begrudgingly at first, I'm like, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then what happened in the little time it took to order her sandwich and go get it and pick it up and bring it back is God softened my heart and said, Jared, this, it's little things like this that demonstrate great love. When, when you simply just ask that question, God, what would you have me do for you? This is a small way that you can show a little bit of love to your wife. Who is the love of your life? This is a small, small thing. And I, I tell you that story not because, you know, that's like one of a million times I get it right. There's lots of times where I miss. I miss those opportunities. I think of only myself and I think it's all about me. But when I start with the question, God, what would you have me do for her? What would you have me do for him? What would you have me do for them? it begins to change the dynamic of the relationship. It begins to change the temperature. Listen, my hunch is that there are folks in this room, you have a relationship in your world, maybe it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or whatever it may be, and there's some tension in the relationship. And it may not be named, but it's felt. Do you know one of the greatest ways to melt the ice of that relationship is to start with this question, God, what would you have me do for this friend? What would you have me do for this person? Maybe the first thing is to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I was wrong. Maybe the first thing to do is to, to go and find a way to, to love and serve them, give them a call. I don't know. This is one of the ways that God actually begins to transform not only our relationships, but transforms us by saying, what would you have me do for them? It changes the tone and temperature of the relationship. So what I'd love for you to do is to think about maybe a friend or two right now. Maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a, one of your kids. I want you to have their name, their face in your mind right now. And I want you to begin to ask God that question. What would God, what would you have me do for them? What would it look like this week to put their needs above my own, to not keep playing by my rules, but to play God by your rules and to put their needs above my own. And to literally think, God, okay, how can I do that starting even tonight, today? Truly, today. What would it look like even if you're here with friends and you were to walk out and just ask that question? Hey, what can I do for you? What can I do? How can I help you as a friend? What can I do for you? Do you know what that would change in the dynamic of your relationship? How that would enter you into another level of friendship and relationship? Powerful question for you to ask specifically to a friend, someone you're dating, a spouse, this week. And what I want to speak to just in closing is this thought. 
I think this is powerful truth. I think these, because this is one of God's rules for relationships, it is consistently clear throughout the scriptures that this is the way that God has created us and intended us for relationship. I think this is one of those questions that leads to both people winning. It's a benefit to both when you ask this kind of question. But if we were to be really honest, this question and maybe the person you're thinking of, it all sounds great here in church. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to ask how I can help that person and serve that person. And then what's going to happen is we're going to sing some songs here in a minute. And then you're going to walk out and you're going to go back into your life. And then it's going to be actually hard and real. And you're going to be struck with two fears, if you're being really honest. And I just want to give you a forewarning about this. The first fear is a surface fear, but it's real nonetheless. The first fear that you're going to be hit with that might even keep you from asking the question, what would God have me do for you, is this, that you're going to ask that question about a friend or someone that you deeply love, and they're going to answer it. And you're going to ask a friend, hey, what what can I do for you? And they're going to say, Thank you so much. I need a ride to O'Hare tomorrow. Can you take me to the airport? And the next question you're going to ask is, what can your other friends do for you? I mean, you're going to be very tempted to ask this. You're going to ask your spouse, what would God have me do for you? And you may even have the courage to ask her or him directly. And they may say to you, I want you to be home. Come home. You're always working. You're always out with your friends. And when you're home, I want you to be home. Put your phone away. Put your laptop away. Let's be home together. See, there's a fear we have that we're going to lose control when we actually have to do the things that God invites us to do to grow our relationships. And I want to encourage you to push through that fear and to actually do it and to see what happens in those relationships. There's a deeper fear, though, that lies beneath that fear. And that fear is that you're going to actually do it. You're going to ask the question, what would God have me do for you? You're going to recognize that it's not all about you. And you're going to start to love and serve and give to your friends and your relationships like maybe never before. And underneath it all, there's going to be this underlying fear that while you're doing that for everyone else, No one's going to do it for you, if we're being really honest. What happens if I give to him again and again and again, and he gives me nothing in return? What happens if I pour myself out to my friends like I've done in the past, and I make myself available, and I bend over backwards for them, and I do all these things, and it just seems like they're just taking advantage of me, and I give, and I give, and I give, and I get nothing in return. That fear is real. And I believe that fear is actually one of the most powerful points of transformation you can face this week. Because what God wants to do in the face of that fear is break your dependency on other people and grow your dependency on him. It breaks my dependency that if I give to you and I, if I'm this kind of friend that lives by God's rules for relationships, I don't expect you to give it back to me. I don't do it because I expect you to give it back to me. I don't even, in fact, need you to do that for me because I ultimately know that God is the one who will supply all my needs. And it may not seem on the surface like while I'm giving to you, you're giving back to me, but I trust that ultimately my biggest needs are going to be met by God. And they may be met through unexpected 
places. But I do believe that God will take care of me. See, our, our fear is that we will not be taken care of. That we'll give and give and give and we'll receive nothing in return. And what is so powerful about this passage that we looked at just a second ago is it paints a beautiful picture of how God has actually already stepped in to meet and provide for your greatest needs. So I'm going to invite the band to come up right now and and to join me. And I want to actually continue reading on in Philippians 2. If you still have your finger in the Bible there, you can kind of open it back up to Philippians 2 because I want to show you what it looks like for God to already meet your deepest needs so that it actually doesn't have to be met by someone else. It doesn't have to be met that way. Philippians 2, 5 says this. Paul gives us sort of the model that our relationships are built on. This is the one who these rules of relationships are actually built upon. Paul says this in Philippians 2, 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as who? Christ Jesus. In your relationships, have the same mindset, not as what our culture would tell you that it's all about you, not as just kind of matching step for step who your friend or who your partner or who your spouse is. No, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, now listen, this is very deep stuff, who, being in very nature God, being in fact God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that Jesus, while fully God, came and was fully man, fully human with us. And while on earth with us, as we read about in the Gospels, Jesus never once played the God card. He could have. He could have. But he said, no, I will be fully human with you, one of you, in relationship with you. The God of the universe will humble himself to become one of us. Verse 7, rather, Paul says, Jesus, he made himself nothing, nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, that means being one of us, he humbled, there's that word again, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus stood next to his Father God in the presence of the Holy Spirit and looked out over our world, looked out over the totality of my sin, and your sin, looked out over all of our broken promises and our broken relationships, looked out and said, what would you, Father, have me do for them? God, what can I do for them? And the Father said to the Son, there is something that only you can do. I'm sending you to pay the price for their sin, to make a way for us to have relationship with them. That's what you can do. And so Jesus did. He literally modeled for us. He humbled himself 
to the point of not only becoming one of us, but to giving his very life for us so that we could not only have a new set of rules for our relationships, but so that you may actually have a relationship with God. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. Humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that your fear of not being taken care of would be taken care of by Jesus. Your fear of your deepest needs not being met has already been the deepest need that you could never meet for yourself, the thing that you could not do for yourself on your own. Jesus already did it for you. He took it all the way to the cross and left it there so that you could actually have a relationship with him. That's what he has done for us. He has already modeled it all the way for us so that we can look out across our relationships and say, okay, what can I do for you? God, what would you have me do for her or for him? This is a beautiful thing and it gives us reason to worship. And that is why we're going to worship Jesus right now to say thank you, Jesus, that you've not only taught us how, you showed us how. You made it possible for us to have this kind of relationship. And so in a second, uh, we're going to sing. We're going to declare our love to God. We're going to declare God's goodness. We're going to sing about how much he loves us and has made that love available to us. What he has done for our relationship with him. And as part of worship, we're going to do something that we always do around here. We're going to give back to God out of the goodness of what he's poured into our lives. We want to give back to him. We give generously and graciously around here because we see how God has done that for us. Many of us give online, but the reason we do this as part of our worship, I just want you to hear this. We do this as part of our worship because it's like a discipline of joy for us. It's a reminder for us to go, no, wait, God, you've already done it for me. You've already provided for me. You've already made a way for me. So this is my response to you, my response to you. So in a second, when I'm done praying here, we're gonna give, we're gonna sing. But I would ask that if you could just sort of close your eyes and maybe put out any distraction that might be around you. I want you to go back to that name or those names, those faces, those relationships that matter most to you. I want you to think about who are the relationships that matter most to you right now? And what would happen if you were just make that your one prayer for them right now? What would God have me do for you? What would God have you do for them tonight? Tonight? This week? And what would it look like for you to actually do it? And to not put your needs above theirs, but to put theirs above yours and to begin to live out a new kind of relationship with these new rules that God has given us. God, for each of the names and each of the relationships, God, that we have, we thank you for them. And we pray, God, that you'd grow them. And not only grow them, but God, that you'd grow us in the process of seeking to put them first. God, I literally pray that friendships would be taken up to the next level this week by seeking to serve. I pray that dating relationships would be brought back on course. That, God, we would actually put you at the center of our dating relationships by asking that question, what would God have me do for this person. God, for marriages, I pray this week, God, over marriages, that every day would be an opportunity to start the day and say, what would God have me do for you? 
What would God have me do? That that would be our morning prayer for our spouse. What would God have me do for you today? And that we'd be faithful to actually doing it and seeing the change that you not only bring to our marriage, God, but to our lives as well. Thank you, Jesus, that you have already done it. You've already made a way. It's not all about us, but what we want to do is take a moment to say, it is all about you. It is all about you. It is all about you. It is all for you. And so we sing, and so we give, and so we respond to you, Jesus. In your name, amen.